0: Welcome to Earth Matters, environmental and social justice stories from Australia and around the world. This show was produced on Palawa land, Lutrawita, Tasmania, Karuna and Bangala people's land in South Australia in conjunction with 3CR on Wurundjeri land in the Kulin Nation and broadcast around the continent via the Community Radio Network. I am your host, Phil Evans, and I'm glad you could join me for the show, because today we're looking at a bit of a squeamish subject for some, it's poo, and in particular, pooing when you're out in nature.
1: The vegetation loved it, (laughs) because
2: we put poos in it. Just pick it up in your hand, turn it upside down, and then sort of tie it up, but as you're doing that, it helps if you can squeeze out as much air as possible.
3: So we've not noticed any smell from it at all.
0: In
1: in what we call the poo project.
0: (laughs) A wise old person once told me, where there's people, there's poop. And ain't that the truth? Worldwide, one in three people do not have access to adequate toilets or sanitation in their homes. And this contributes to disease and deaths of millions every year. I was surprised to learn that UNICEF estimated that up to 24% of Australians don't have access to adequate sanitation. It's a real indicator that shocking inequality in our society is rife, with many of those without access living in remote Indigenous communities. And again, as we see such a disappointing Closing the Gap report, this is an important issue, because it is estimated that access to clean toilets has helped add around 20 years of life expectancy to human beings. And when we leave our homes, access to toilets becomes an even wider issue. According to the Continents Foundation of Australia, there are more than 19,000 public toilets available continent-wide. And they even have a map of them on their website. I'll put it in the show notes. But most of them are within townships or close to car parks. So what about when we go to the outback? How do we use the outhouse and what options are there? And what impact could us going to the toilet have? have on the environment. Pooing in nature, that's the topic today on Earth Matters. So if you are squeamish, <clears> or <throat> oh, you're going to love this show. So sit down, put your feet up on your squatty potty and enjoy the show. For the last two years, I've been driving around this wonderful continent and I love being in the great outdoors. Even this show is being recorded outside, as I have all of my Earth Matters shows. But I think of all the logistical challenges that pop up with travelling, toilet life is probably one of the hardest. I really like to go free camping and I really like going quite remote. When I was growing up, we always just dug a pit and buried our waste. I never really gave it much thought. And that seemed like the best thing to do. And for the most part, the science does agree. But problems arise when you have heavy concentrations of people in an area all doing the same, and worse, when people don't know what to do when they are road tripping and pooping, or even worse, they don't care. So let's talk about digging a hole for poop.
1: Uh, Jamie Kirkpatrick, I'm calling in from the University of Tasmania and uh, I'm in Pelowa country. Well, I've been doing ecology since 1968 and, uh, uh, you yeah, sort of mainly conservation ecology. And in the 90s, I got really concerned about, after doing a lot of bushwalking, collecting data, I got really concerned about coming across human poos quite frequently in unsalubrious places. And I started to think about, well, this must do a lot of damage. They're digging. If they don't leave it on the surface, it's pretty much of a nuisance and, and as bad. But if they bury it, what does it do if they bury it, if people bury it? So I was lucky enough to be able to get a grant and work with uh, Dr. Kerry Bridle on, for about two or three years on working out what does happen if you dig holes in the ground in different environments.
0: I asked him about his research and what he found out.
1: We had about 10 or 12 different environments we put the experiment in. And what happens to the poo that you put in there and tampons and toilet paper? And was unbleached toilet paper better than bleached toilet paper? And what happens with real poo? What are what are the, the microbiological consequences of, of burying real poo? So these were the sort of questions that we were asking in what we called the Pooh Project. <laughs> what we found was that in digging the hole, we thought we'd be destroying the roots of vegetation and stuff would die, but the vegetation loved it <laughs> because we put poos in it or artificial poos in it and it really loved it. It became greener and more luxuriant. And the bags in which we had the artificial poo and wee, and the tampons and the toilet paper in, were just riddled with roots. I <laughs> loved that, and we didn't get any uh, any exotics in any of our sites uh, as a result of the extra nutrients either that we thought thought might happen. And the breakdown rate of the the poos and the toilet paper and the tampons was, you know, like after two years there was there was, you know, like very little left except in the really acid alpine areas. But one of the interesting things we found was that when we used real poo with a, an, an honest student, Julie Von Platten, conserved her own poo so it was in uniform and then um then spread it out in an experiment. And uh, when we used real poo the, the bacteria were destroyed by the Western Tasmanian environment. So you had this this poo in the ground that was still there after two years, but it was completely sterile. Whereas in Eastern Tasmania and the local coastal sand dunes, the poo just disappeared in a flash, as did the other things. They just broke down. But the bacteria remained as a, a cloud of unknowing <laughs> <laughs> so you could be digging a hole and getting into into uh, human pathogens that were actually in it that you couldn't see where they're coming from. So I mean, our major conclusion was that one needs to have toilets anywhere where there's a large number of people camping. We worked on the the prescriptions for for doing poos in the in the wild. At that stage, were dig a hole 15 centimeters deep and cover it up more than 100 meters from water. Or or huts or camping areas, and we actually actually measured where the poos were around a hut which didn't have a toilet, and most of them were closer than hundred metres. People's perception of hundred metres wasn't very good, and there was a and some people might might have been using GPS or something because there was a there was a peak at hundred metres just at a hundred metres of,
0: of poos. <laughs> One thing I hate seeing when I pull into a campsite in a state forest, a national park or anywhere really, is toilet paper fluttering around everywhere. So I asked Professor Jamie about what type of toilet paper to use when you go camping.
1: Take unbleached toilet paper. We found the unbleached breaks down much faster than the bleached. And the tampons take a bit longer to break down than toilet paper.
0: As we know from COVID nineteen and the much maligned pangolin, diseases can jump from species to species. And Professor Jamie shared with me the story of possums and Giardia in Tasmania.
1: You've always got a risk, and I mean Giardia came to Tasmania because people were going to the going to the Himalayas to do trekking there and they picked it up in the Himalayas and then they came back here and decided to go for a bushwalk and Yeah. Yeah. So if you do poo, that's on the surface or close to a waterway. You know, your, your stuff can get washed into it and uh, make, or or their animals will eat it. You know, like if it's on the surface, yeah, possums or eat any everything. Yeah.
0: Time for some poo numbers. The average human spends 92 days of their life going to the toilet. The average time actually pooing is only 12 seconds. Each deposit of poo will be 100 to 200 grams. Poo is made up of 75% water. There are up to 1 trillion bacteria and about the same of living viruses in every gram of poo. Okay, okay, okay. That's enough. If you haven't seen the mess that the camps in the Himalayas look like, jump on TikTok or type it into ye old Google and have a look. It's gross. And recently the Nepalese government announced that climbers at Sagamatha Chomalanga, or the colonial name Mount Everest, would need to remove their own poo with them as part of their adventure. And for many eco-conscious hikers, the idea of carrying a poo tube or a similar contraption, to facilitate them to carry out their excrement is not strange.
2: Yes, uh, my name's Peter Mason. I'm calling in from Bulla Bulla, which is also known as Mount Buller in Victoria, and it's the lands of the Doong people.
0: And I started by asking Pete what a poo tube was, uh, because before this show, <laughs> I literally had no idea.
2: Poo tube is a thing that you use to pack out your human waste. What it looks like can be dependent on sort of like, I guess, your requirements. Traditionally, it is just a tube. Usually, it's like a DIY jobby where people make it themselves. Some people, if they're doing shorter trips, can use just like a plastic container with a sealable lid. I think the main thing is it's something with hard sides that wouldn't break easily for obvious reasons because you're going to be putting your waste in there, packing it out. You want it to be nice and secure. If you're reusing a jar, like there's some jars that you can get, like I think maybe ice cream, I don't know, goods from the supermarket, you can just reuse a tube with a nice sealable lid. I made mine out of a PVC pipe from Bunnings. I think I made maybe paid like 20, 30 bucks and that was exclusive of things like more tube than I could possibly use, uh, an end cap that I was going to glue on, PVC glue and a screw cap with a thread for that. So that was quite fancy, really. You can even probably just get leftover PVC pipes from a building site. Otherwise, shorter trips, plastic container from the supermarket with a sealable lid. I had a friend of mine that did that recently for a shorter trip, and he's definitely more squeamish than me. And I was like, why are you using a clear plastic container? You're probably going to have to see what's inside. You do line them, but you will have to see it's inside. The advantage of something like a PVC pipe is it's completely opaque. You'll know what's in there, but you won't have to look at it. It's time for Tube 101 with Pete. I think the good thing is like having preparation done starts, so... I think the very first step is at home, you're lying your poo tube with a plastic bag. Anything you put inside the tube, you wouldn't put straight in there. Usually it's cornstarch bags. I think some people go to the effort of maybe putting in some sort of absorbent material like sawdust, some of those absorbent silica balls or something like that. I think maybe other people might put in things like enzymes to help breaking down the process of the waste once you actually have used the bag. So yeah, you got your poo tube, you've got it lined, you've got your bags, toilet paper, hand sanitizer, whatever. That's all ready to go. When you're out hiking and you feel like you need to do business, I think the important thing is if you're going to do it, having a nice clear spot to do it on a rock is helpful. It's going to be a lot easier for doing it off a hard surface rather than off grass because that's just going to make a horrible mess. If you're doing it in winter on snow, I guess just you got to try and keep it on one spot, pick it up, not to get too much snow as you're picking up the poo. And then you just sort of get the the cornstarch bag like you're picking up a dog poo. Just pick it up in your hand, turn it upside down, and then sort of tie it up. But as you're doing that, it helps if you can squeeze out as much air as possible. Because if you're going to be using the tube over a number of days, you don't want to have any dead air space in there. You're just sort of wasting space. You might run out of room. Maybe i have done that once or twice. Yeah, so you finish wrapping it up, squeeze out all the air, and just slide it into your lined tube.
0: Pete, who was up on Bulla Bulla for a hiking race for charity, bless him, uh, also shared with me his experiences with the PewTube, including some rather advanced user experiences.
2: There was one time, this is more high-stakes version, where I was stuck in a blizzard for three days, and I'm just like, I'm not going out to the pit that we dug in the snow. It's horrendous. It's been snowing, chucking it down for three days straight. I did a high-stakes one. I don't know if you want to know this, high-stakes into my hand with the bag i was like in the tent on my own I'm like this is probably a bad idea the sleeping bag is right there all my gear is right there i just like i don't care i am not going outside so the high-stakes version bit gross was straight into my hand generally it's not done that way but i don't know like i feel like after the first few times i was just like oh it's not that bad whatever maybe desensitized maybe a bit of a phobia. I, I don't know yeah that's that's the high stakes version Down and the, die, and it burns, burns, burns. the ring of
4: fire the ring of fire the ring of fire yes it burns burns burns
0: If you're listening to the show via Spotify, Apple, or your favourite podcasting platform, then why not rate and review us? Help us spread the word. Why? Because the Earth Matters. Camping and RV enthusiasts have probably heard, seen signs about, or talked about being self-contained. Although no standardised definitions, the general idea is that you're able to carry out with you your water and any waste. And having some sort of toilet is part of that. And there are many options on the market. One of the most eco-friendly options is a portable composting toilet. And I spoke to Winnie from Boadick People's Lands in South Australia about her composting toilet experience.
3: We were building a motorhome and we decided we wanted a toilet so that we weren't caught having to walk through rainstorms to (laughs) go to the toilet when we were living. So we looked into all of our options and we live a sustainable lifestyle. So our whole build was sustainable. All the wood was sustainable. There were no plastics anywhere in the build other than the toilet. We did a bit of research and found the Nature's Head composting toilet, which is the one we went for and just saw really good reviews and found it was really easy to use. So it was really good because it separates it. So the wee's in a separate container, so you can just empty that whenever you need to. And the way the composting works is it doesn't smell at all. So it's got a little fan in there and it has a coconut core in there and a, a spinner that turns it round. So once you've done your business. Um, you, you've got a, a separate little lever to open the chute at the back, and then you've got to make sure you've got it aimed, which was hard to get right. Um, and then once you've done your business, uh, you just got to rip up the toilet paper because if it's in long sheets, it tangles. You close your chute, spin it a couple of times, it mixes all with the core, and then uh, the fan dries it out. So we've not noticed any smell from it at all which has been wonderful because that was one of the concerns. Because it's composting, it's not too gross. It just scoops out, you know, digs a hole and chucks it in or chucks it in a garden compost heap. So there's no standing up for weeing. um for males. Males have to sit to use it, which, you know, I don't think is that bad really. <laughs> Saves accidents. <laughs>
0: The price of a composting toilet at above $1,000 at this stage of my finances is a bit prohibitive. So I've gone with a camping toilet, which is about 10% of the costs and comes with a bit of smell and the use of dump points where you empty the waste. It's not the nicest thing in the world to do, but I feel like I'm doing my part. And my takeaway from looking at poo-pooing in the environment is, well, to take away where you can. While the research from Professor Jamie shows that pooing is not the worst, the risk of infecting and spreading pathogens that might be harmful to animals and the ecosystem is real. Not discussed here also is the transmission of pharmaceutical and illicit drugs via human excrement and also by we as well. I'm hoping to find out more about this as my research uncovered some really interesting case studies. So if you or someone you know specializes in this research field, I'd love to chat and you can get in touch with me anytime via the Earth Matters social media channels or by emailing me on earthmatters3cr, that's number three, not the word, at gmail.com. So grab that poo tube and get out there and see this beautiful country. And if you get caught short, remember to bury it about 15 centimetres deep at least and 100 metres away from any campsite or waterway.
4: Love is a burning thing And it makes a fiery ring But down, 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 and the flames went higher, and it burns, 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 the ring of fire, the ring of fire, and it burns, 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 the ring of fire.
0: In other news, Tasmanians are heading back to the polls early after Premier Jeremy Rockcliffe failed to strike a deal with independents supporting his minority government. The key issues for the elections will be economy, health and the controversy over a new stadium being built as a part of the deal with AFL to host a new team. But important environmental issues are at play, like native forest logging. Tasmania has achieved net zero emissions primarily because of its large forest estate, which absorbs a significant amount of carbon dioxide from the atmosphere each year. But current government policy puts not only net zero at risk, but threatens the habitat of the critically endangered swift parrot. Recently, a court injunction was won by activists to halt logging in nesting grounds pending the hearing of a legal challenge by the Bob Brown Foundation. Elsewhere, blockades and actions continued this month, with 60 people walking onto a logging coop in Tasmania's southern central highlands at Brady's Lake. Native forest logging was banned in Victoria and Western Australia at the start of this year, and the question is whether the parties can come to a consensus this election and save $72 million a year from subsidising this outdated industry, or will they continue to put critically endangered species at risk by continuing to log native forests? We'll be watching the election campaign with a close eye. Following on from our show looking at war and the environment in Palestine last year, a new report has shown that the emissions from the catastrophic conflict are driving the climate catastrophe even further. The report, titled A Multitemporal Snapshot of Greenhouse Gas Emissions from the Israel-Gaza Conflict, was released last month. It says that the projected emissions from the first 60 days of the Israel-Gaza war were greater than the annual emissions of 20 individual countries and territories. If the emissions were to include war infrastructure built by both Israel and Hamas, including the Hamas Tunnel Network and Israel's protective fence or iron wall, the total emissions increased to more than over 33 individual countries and territories. The report goes on to say that the carbon costs of reconstructing Gaza will be enormous. Rebuilding Gaza will entail the total emission figures of 130 countries, putting them on par with Aotearoa or New Zealand. As we also point out in our show, which you can find and listen to at 3cr.org.au forward slash earthmatters, the ad hoc nature of these calculations point to the urgent need for mandatory military emissions reporting for both war and peacetime through the UN Framework Convention on Climate Change. Neither Israel nor Hamas currently report, and neither does Australia. The war and genocide in Gaza must end. I'd like to thank Professor Jamie Kirkpatrick, Winnie and Pete Mason for their time and being part of this show. Today we heard music from Wall of Voodoo with their version of the Johnny Cash classic Ring of Fire. (laughs) I know, I am sorry. You've been listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network with Phil Evans. Earth Matters would like to thank the Community Radio Network for all their hard work in broadcasting today's episode and the Community Broadcasting Foundation for their generous financial support. Earth Matters is produced at 3CR Community Radio in Nam Melbourne, and we can be contacted at earthmatters3cr at gmail.com. Or you can check us out on Facebook, X, formerly known as Twitter, and Instagram. That's all the time we have for today, but do tune in next week for more environmental and social justice stories on Earth Matters.